Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. First up this week, actor Ann Dowd. She's being interviewed for our show by Linda Holmes, the host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Ann Dowd is a veteran actor. She started on the stage, first in Chicago, where she went to school, then in New York. She started appearing on screen in the 90s, eventually going from the law and order circuit to lead roles on film and in television. She's had memorable parts in shows like Search Party, The Leftovers, and in the 2012 movie Compliance. But she's probably best known for her part in The Handmaid's Tale. Dowd plays Aunt Lydia, the cruel, sadistic, but sometimes maternal villain who presides over Elizabeth Moss's June and the other Handmaids. The role earned her an Emmy Award in 2017. The Handmaid's Tale is back for a fourth season on Hulu, At this point in the series, Gilead, the dystopian nation that took the place of the United States, is facing a rebellion. Several handmaids have run off, and in this scene, Lydia interrogates June over their whereabouts. That lieutenant is very determined. If you don't cooperate, I fear things might get quite a bit worse for you of Robert, of Eric, of Howard, and the others. All wanted fugitives in grave danger because of you. Bring them home. This isn't their home. Because you corrupted them. They had a life of meaning here, a life of service. There is no meaning in this place except violence. And Dowd, welcome to Bullseye. Oh, my gracious. Yes, thank you. I'm afraid of that woman, whoever it was there. Absolutely. She said, you can sort of tell from uh, the panting and, and crying of <laughs> Ms. Elizabeth Moss that that's a, that's a pretty harrowing scene there with Aunt Lydia. It definitely was. Definitely was. So you're into the fourth season now. I've heard you talk before about the, the empathy that you find for Lydia. Has that changed at all as as kind of the project has progressed and... Aunt Lydia has kind of stayed the way she is. Oh, so no difference, eh? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm measuring the in in you know the really tiny, tiny, tiny steps that one takes. Oh yes, absolutely. Here's the thing: I'm crazy about her. You know, I know that's not really a good way to say it, but I have love for her, uh, a sincere love for her. I've known her now for four years. You see, and the thing is, as an actor. You know, that golden rule, no judgment. And so that comes before we begin anything, four years ago, say. And I was very curious about her, and that's a good thing. I think a character is aware when your interest is genuine and the judgment is not present. Mm -hmm. Then the relationship begins and the communication begins. So now what I found, especially in this fourth season, as it progresses especially toward the end there, I think I'm speaking of maybe eight or nine. Mm -hmm. I was stunned at what happened when we shot because it's not what I had in mind necessarily. Uh, In fact, you know, we work through things slowly. Elizabeth was directing. She's the best, you know, 
it's not enough that she's a phenomenal actress. She has to be extraordinary as a director as well. I can't mm-hmm. explain to you the comfort in her being there because she knows these characters very, very well. And so the way things played out really shocked me, meaning parts of Lydia that I would I would say she has kept a very close watch on uh, to the point of silenced those parts of her, emerged on their own. And I know to anyone who isn't an actor, it sounds like I'm speaking voodoo, and I really don't mean to sound that way, and I don't believe that's what it is. But she was very fully in charge in those scenes. And that, to me, was an indication of where where she's going. And what I mean by that is, you know, she loves Janine without uh, hesitation or there's no part of her that says, well, you shouldn't. She loves June as well, but the red flags go up everywhere because June is incredibly complicated. But there is a very profound, to me, attraction between the two, an admiration on a level which I would assume Lydia, Lydia would claim is unconscious. But... Um, just parts of her she just can't keep shut down any longer. You've played some pretty physical stuff as Lydia, right? She hits, she pokes, she yanks on one Ugh. memorable occasion she got stabbed and fell down the stairs. Yeah. What are the most physical days of playing that character like for you? Oh, darling, you know, they take very good care. Can I just say? Um <laughs> It's unbelievable. Uh, They were so fantastic. And the last thing you want to see on your call sheet is coming in for stunt rehearsals. Like, really? Really? Do I have to? Well, yes, you do, dear, because you're clueless and you need to know how to do it. And they are so absolutely spot on. You know, you you have like practically, what do you call those things you jump on? Um, Trampolines laid out. So if you fall any which way, it's you're protected. And the really hard stuff, it's done by a stunt person. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Which is to say, mm-hmm. when the woman slams her head on the banister after that stabbing by that wretched girl, <laughs> uh, and over, over she goes. You know, she's a trained professional, and she pulled it off. Now, the stairs I fell down, you know, rolling down a set of stairs is not the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you have a banister to hold on to. The difficult part, of course, is keeping it in sync with what you're trying to do as the character. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. So, you know, the physical part goes only so far. Uh, I mean, there's no danger ever, in other words. But running down that darn street in the middle of wherever we were after a while that was because Lydia wears like 20 pounds of clothing yeah do you know I'm sort of, I'm joking here but I mean to say there's a weight to it so sure yeah I think in most communities that weigh women down with a lot of <gasps> a lot of clothing uh one thing that can arise is the fact that it's that it's physically constricting, right? Even even if you're just talking about high heels and things like that. Okay, explain to me those. Yeah, uh, yeah they're. I mean, I will say, you don't want to wear the Gilead clothes, but at least June wears those nice flat boots. Yeah, I got a pair of flat ones myself. A little too flat, <laughs> you see. There's a balance, but I mean sure. to say, and and then yeah, the heels. Uh, no, and then on the other side, I think to myself, 
Yeah, they're definitely restrictive and annoying. And there's, thank God it's not a cold day on a particular day because there's 32 more layers. Mm -hmm. But it builds strength and determination as well. You know, I was, whenever I think about you playing Lydia, I think about one of the first performances of yours that that stood out kind of most starkly to me, which was uh, in Compliance in 2012. Compliance, for anybody who hasn't seen it, is based on a a true story about a series of calls that uh, were made. People will call them prank calls, but I think that's somewhat minimizing it. Yeah, exactly. Calls that were made to uh, mostly fast food restaurants uh, where someone was impersonating a police officer who would persuade managers at these places to strip search, ultimately, teenage, mostly teenage girls, um, just by kind of gradually talking them through, you know, taking on this this idea of authority and talking them into this. All right, so what, what is going on? There's some upsetting news about Becky. She stole from a customer, and she may be in trouble for something with her brother. He's been in trouble with the law. Wait, she stole something? Yes. No, I I know her brother. He's not... Wait, what? I can't talk about it right now. It's all going to be sorted out. What I need you for is to watch Becky until the police get here. We had to strip search her. Hello, officer, I'm back. Oh, yes, you guessed it, it's a madhouse. Yes, I'm in the weeds, that's the word. Uh, I've got to get back out there, but I have Kevin here, and he's going to watch Becky. To me, there is a line between, uh, between that character in compliance and... Lydia, That's in the sense that they're point. they're both, you know, they're both kind of wanting to be rule followers to the point where their own individual sense of what's right and wrong is getting a little bit foggy. Do you think? That's a great comparison. Um, yes, I do. I do think that's a, a very good connection. I would say it's significantly more extreme, of course, with Lydia. Sure. But the root of it... If we agree that, I mean, my imaginings for for that lovely woman, Sandra, felt terribly sorry for her, uh, was the same, raised, and I, I, forgive me, this is so horrible. I mean, not that it wouldn't be the mother too, but the parents saying, all right, fatty, you know, don't don't turn any uh, proposal down, hon, because there's not going to be another one, uh, and never having an opinion paid attention to. Shut your mouth. deferring to church, deferring to authority, regardless. And to me, it comes down in a way to constitution, which is where I would draw the line in terms of differences between the two. To me, Sandra struck me as, here you are, you know, you're running a fast food place. I mean to say, there is nothing in the world wrong with any job that pays for your, you know, gives you your livelihood in in which you feel fulfilled. But if you don't feel fulfilled there and you have, it never occurs to you that you can go elsewhere, that to me is a life that isn't claimed by the individual. And so she struck me as terribly vulnerable, that one, and trying to do the best she could. And yeah, oh, I understand the rules. Yep, 
that she never even for a minute wondered if this guy is legit. And even if he is legit, I'm sorry, sir, it's Friday night and I'm running a restaurant and it's a fast food restaurant. If you want this woman looked after, you're going to have to find a deputy to come yourself. I can't help you. Not my job. I mean, how quickly would that come out of our mouths? Mm-hmm. When something like that happens and you and suddenly awareness hits and the and the wall the, the 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 veil comes off or whatever it is you put over your eyes and you realize oh my god i i allowed that to happen i i did that you know the nervous breakdown or the collapse is a necessary step to then start again do you know what i'm saying okay everything i've done all to it just didn't I, i'm very i'm very very lost but that that's not where she went this woman said you would have done the same thing, and I would have done the same thing had I had to do it over. That's it. Yeah. You know, Compliance is a, is a movie that I saw at a, at a festival. I saw it at South by Southwest in Austin. Oh. And um, I remember going around and, and recommending it to a lot of people and um, trying to make sure that everybody that I knew saw it. Um, Thank you for that. But I do, <laughs> I do know there was a kind of a limited budget to promote it and to make people aware of it. Are you at this point kind of sanguine about the thing goes out the door and what happens happens or are you are you frustrated by kind of the capriciousness of outcomes for different projects kind of irrespective of how good they are or how loved they are by the people who work on them oh what a good question because i kind of i came into it kind of late by the by that i mean you know the award stuff and all of that I, you know that wasn't, I would say in Chicago, we had our wonderful Jeff Awards, which meant a lot to us and so on, and not to put it in a diminished state at all. However, it wasn't on the level of Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? Where sure. That extreme, of course you do, that extreme attention. Um, and, and then when something happens, like winning an Emmy, which I'll just never forget, that was a really extraordinary moment, that then you begin to want that again and again. And you have to just step back and say, okay, hon, do you see where you're going here? Come on now. Feet on the ground. You know darn well what's important. It's the work. Don't, don't even pretend anything. Come on now. You know, that takes a little bit of speaking to oneself. And so in that regard, I, I have stepped back and realized you're getting caught up. Come on. And that's been a good journey to remind myself. Very, very, very important. When a project that you love, that is extraordinary, I'm going to throw out this one called Mass. Oh, yes, I saw that. Which hasn't come out and which really between us I have not seen because the um, experience of shooting it was the most profound I've ever had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And by that I do not mean painful. I mean the generosity of a character my case, Linda, just stepping in and honestly taking charge. And because how do you take that? How do you do that in two weeks? The enormity of that grief and the enormity of the loss and so on. And again, I'm speaking from an actor's perspective. I hope this film is embraced for the reasons it is wonderful. And I say wonderful because of the experience I had, and of course from what I've heard, that it affects people. And that I care tremendously about, that it, that it find its way, and that it finds as much, as many 
as large an audience as we can. I'm invested in that, and I'll do what I can to promote that or to support that, let us say. Beyond that, what can I do? Do you know what I'm saying? So that's the point at which you say, thank God there are people who know what they're doing, and they will they will take charge. Yeah, I do know what you mean. And I think without film in particular, I, I saw that uh, through the Toronto Film Festival. Oh, you and, did? Um, I did. It's a stunning film. I remember so much about it. It certainly is one of the ones from that that week that has stuck with me the most. And it's also such a, um, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear you speak very personally about it because it's partly because it's a very actor-driven, uh, I mean, obviously it's script-driven as well, like everything, but it's a very actor-driven piece. It's only really, for the most part, four people sitting around a table talking for right. the majority of the film. It could easily be a play. And you know, I, I have to think that's a lot to carry, re- regardless of the fact that, as you said, the the subject matter is very is very um, heavy and serious. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We are all thick as thieves now. We will be, I would imagine, for the rest of our lives. I don't think you go through an experience like that and then you part ways in any casual way. I mean, to say, I would say that's true of any film, but this in particular, they are family to me. Uh, and Fran, I love Fran, uh, and uh, all of those actors. And we were all, you know, we met briefly for, I think, two days, possibly three, for rehearsals, which really were about working through the text before we began shooting, you know, a month, I think, or maybe more. And I think we all were in the same place, you know, terrified. And these were not actors that started yesterday, terrified, can we do it? And can we know our words, number one? And can we do the deep dive that it has to have? Um, And something about, you know how some experiences are just plain protected, blessed? I don't know how else to say it. Sure. That was that experience. We were all together in this church, you know, this lovely church in Idaho, that we were kindly loaned, and everyone, there's no green room for anyone to hide in. There's not a trailer in sight. And that was fantastic. The crew is, everybody's working very hard. We're all sitting there in the same space, do you know? Something wonderful yeah. happens in that circumstance and some and terrifying things. I remember the first time I read it, I thought, okay, how can we exist in this level of grief for the period of time it will take to shoot this? And How will you ever say no to it? Even more with Ann Dowd still to come. Stay with us. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for Bullseye and the following message come from Culturel. An estimated 45 million Americans may have IBS, according to the International Foundation for Gastrointestinal Disorders. Culturel IBS Complete Support is a medical food for the dietary management of IBS. It's designed to relieve symptoms like abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, and constipation in a safe, well-tolerated, once-daily dose. Save 20% with promo code RADIO on culturel.com. Today, it seems like everybody's got a bone to pick with the news. So it happens when somebody stops talking smack and just decides to wage all-out war. First thing you do in, in an evasion, you, you eliminate the communications of the enemy. 
And what happens if they win? Visit Stockton, California, for a story about a revolt against the mainstream media that's shaken up a city. From NPR's Invisibilia. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our guest is actor Anne Dowd. She plays the villain Aunt Lydia on television's The Handmaid's Tale, which is in its fourth season now on Hulu. She's also had some great roles in The Leftovers, the movies Compliance and Hereditary, and the original run of TV's The Babysitter's Club. She's being interviewed by our friend Linda Holmes, who's the co-host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Let's get back into it. I I was talking to somebody the other day about the fact that you, I don't know who the record holder is for the most different characters in the Law and Order, in the Law and Order universe, but you Ah. have to be up there. You've got to be up there. I think you have nine. Is that right? I think it's nine. And that's between all the different shows. And it spans a a good number of years, too. Oh, I loved Um, working on those shows. Loved it. Yeah, is that a, is that a good job? Oh God, it was it was the ticket to uh, come on in in New York. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they were good. They know what they were. They knew what they were doing. I love the actors, love them, and and uh, you know, in those early days, you know, you you're there for the day, man, and <laughs> you know that's just it. And and it, and it, the courtroom scenes, you know, you, you, part of you is on your knees begging for help. Because it just goes long, and and they're, uh, you know, they're intense and so on and so. Forth. I loved working in those roles, and the kindness of by that I mean in the learning over time how to do it. You know what I'm saying, and getting the early roles where you could figure it out. Okay, this isn't. I can do this, and then growing eventually into one of the ones I remember is compassion. You know the pediatric oncologist. Yes. Which yes. I loved so much, I can't even say. I found that all fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. I found that as I was preparing to do this, I was reminded several times of things that I had forgotten all about, like that you were on you were on Freaks and Geeks. <gasps> loved. Loved. I mean, who is who is not amazing from Freaks and Geeks? That's okay. That's name a, one. You can't. That's a murderer's row, right? That's that's everybody's great. You were Busy Phillips' mom, right? Yes. Yeah, amazing. the whole group. Uh-huh. Who? I mean, sitting at the table, sitting at the table at their house. Was that like I don't know? You know what I mean? Where where they were proper parents and so on. Those actors. I it, it, the whole thing was like pinch me, and and, and the insanity. The insanity of what went on in the household I was in with my daughter busy. Oh, I loved every second. And then looking around the room, the the creators of that show, I swear to God, they were like 20s, in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And you look at them and say, wait a second, what? And the sweet writer whom I adore, he, he looked 14 to me. And he's, you know, you were just saying, wait a second, how did this happen? Where are you? Where are you guys from? What is going on here? It was a blast, complete blast. Did you have a sense at the time that it that, that was a show where there were just a whole bunch of people who were going to be super big deals? No. The only thing that surprised me about that show was why it wasn't picked up. Oh, yeah. That I was mean, like, I wait a minute, what is wrong with people? That's wild. That's, a, that's absolutely... The, the interesting thing is it has had very long... I mean, it's had very long legs in terms of, you know, people still love it and talk about it and yeah. talk about kind of the the spectacular nature of that cast. And I think for a lot of people, it's a it's a reference point for sort of 
you know, or, or a different kind of entry and how television started to, to broaden how, yes. how good it could be. Yeah, well, that, you know? I wouldn't know. You know, you're far more aware than I. How about Cardellini in Dead to Me? Oh, my gosh. Come on. She's wonderful. And I just watched her the other day in, uh, in Legally Blonde as well. She's, oh. uh, she's all over the place. She's all Good over the place. Her. But yeah, I, I loved seeing her uh, show up in, in Dead to Me because she's one of those. She and Christina Applegate both are just. Okay, stop. Can you Love even? to see them every time. Love to see them every time. I, I'm going to just tell you right now, I don't watch a whole lot because I don't understand how anyone has time. I, I, that's stupid. I mean, yes. No, no, do. no one does. No one does. No one does. Uh, that is a series. I watched the whole thing twice because, and then the scary part is, because <laughs> I had some really challenging things happening in my in my life, uh, in, in my personal life, you know, just things that, what pe- that people do have challenging things, right? And and so I suddenly was hypnotized by Applegate in her responses and in her anger problem. And you can really adopt her way of looking at the world. And, you know, when she's talking to someone and she says under breath, uh-huh, and you. So what, you know, when she just slips in under the sentences and you're dying. Yeah, I just love seeing the two of them. And, you know, you'd think they've been, I don't know, they just, they're fantastic. That's all. You know, outside of Handmaids, which obviously you're, you're, you know, you're busy with Handmaids and, and, and film. What are kind of the most important things to you right now in terms of deciding what kind of work you want to do? Well, as we speak, I'm working on a one-person show that is written um, and will be directed by Robert Icke. Do you know? You must know him. I know who that is, yes. Yeah, he's beyond. Beyond. It's based on Enemy of the People. And so we have been Zooming, and he's been writing as we've been talking all, all along. And it's nearly complete, and rehearsal begins May 3. Here, it'll be happening here at the the Armory on Park Avenue. So, you know, (laughs) let's talk about challenge, can we? Because it's, it's, it's been extraordinary to really focus on the complexity of a character, and let's come to know this character and we'll if we don't get it in this take, just relax. We're gonna we're gonna there's a lot of ways we're gonna shoot this. And then if it doesn't work, we'll just do it again. Mm-hmm. So what the theater is to me, which is where I began, is let's step up into what real courage is, not just on one level, but on many, which is to say, drop the armor. Uh, this is what I have tonight, and I'm gonna trust it. And I'm gonna put the walls down, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna just say yes, I can. And I say that like I'm talking about some I don't know um, Hallmark card. I really don't mean to sound that way, because that's the challenge in front of me. You know, and I'm determined to embrace it and enjoy it. But it's you know I haven't been there for a minute. The last play I did was something called. Uh, Night is a Room by Naomi Wallace, which we did at the Signature Theater. And so now it's time again to step in and see where the level of courage is and how we can (laughs) increase it. We'll have even more with Ann Dowd in just a minute. After the break, she tells us about the time she went to medical school, got good grades, and dropped out so she could become an actor. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Wampley. Wampley is committed to helping self-employed workers and small businesses get their PPP loan. They've helped over 100,000 small businesses. Even if you're a freelancer or gig worker, you may qualify. Wampley makes the process easy. Start your application at wampley.com NPR, and they'll route it to an approved lender. Apply for free today at wampley.com NPR and see if you qualify. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to Bullseye. Our guest, Ann Dowd, is an Emmy Award-winning actor. She plays the sadistic Aunt Lydia in Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale, which just entered its fourth season. She's being interviewed by our pal, Linda Holmes. What made you want to act first? What are your first memories of wanting to act? You know what used to bug me is when I, when I was in acting school and I would hear, you know, children how to know how to do it naturally. I'd be like, what? Well, of course, that's true, isn't it? You don't have, when, you, when kids are playing, now as a woman who's older, my children are, are, you know, my youngest is 16, but, you know, my kids are, I could watch children all day long. Could I just sit here in the park and watch them? The imagination, the lack of um, boundaries. If you say to them, you know, there's your kingdom right over there. You know what? Don't let anyone, that's, you got to protect, you don't ever have to say it twice. And I think I had just feelings like that in my womb, alone, that, oh, nobody's watching and no one's going to say, what are you doing? I come from seven kids, you know, you got to keep yourself sharp, can I just say. But um, I would say high school, but the thing that really, uh, I, 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 I was going to be a surgeon. That was the whole plan. My father and I discussed that, and that was the plan. And then he died senior year. So I really doubled down on that. And it was, even though there was great love for theater in my household, and he had the, you know, theaters from Ireland. Can you imagine in our living room, for gracious sakes? And he used to do um, stuff at Christmas for us. My dad, he would read, you know, be putting on his velvet red coat. It was like, whoa. But it was never, and he would come to see plays that I was in in high school and just sit down in the back, never tell me he was there. I mean, he would come, you know, for the formal coming, but then he would show up, things. And, but, but the message was never, this is what you can choose for your life, by the way. Absolutely not. That was a hobby, you know, you enjoyed it for fun and isn't this good, and now you're going to get serious. And so when he died in my senior year, I had done plays uh, uh, there that I loved. I mean, they meant everything. And when they were over, the depression just sank me. And then I went to Holy Cross College as a pre-med student, and then I learned about what anxiety is and how it can, in Mm -hmm. fact, rule the day. And I had wonderful teachers, mind you, just extraordinary. The organic chemistry teacher, you know, just looking at me saying, hon, you're happy here? Are you sure? And, you know, there's no rule. You know, you're 18. There's no rule that you have to do this. And had to get A's, mind you, because you had to get A's or you're not going to be able to get into medical school. But also I was acting in plays, And I had an acting teacher that was extraordinary. And 
It was just straight ahead. These are, it's about human behavior. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Don't turn it into a three-act this and that. It's just between people, between two people, between just simple basics, which I, honest to God, I'm on my hands and knees in gratitude for. And he just said to me one day, you could do this, you know, if you want to. And that stunned me. And also, that's the time when a character, if I let it, would float in and I would disappear. And it'd be like, whoa, this is the way. This is the most joyous thing I've ever experienced in my life. And then my roommate and I were very close. And we had both suffered a tremendous loss. Mine and, you know, my dad. And she lost her brother senior year. And so grief, we understood deeply. Plus, I loved her anyway. She's a fantastic person, Marybeth Wally. And she looked at me and she said, and we would go off on our own because everyone else is like, all right, time to put your best foot forward. I know you lost your brother. And I was like, I looked at her and I said, babe, don't worry about any foot forward ever. You take your time, hun. Here's the key. I had a little gremlin, you know, God help us all. You know, (laughs) there's no rush here. We're not, you know, grief is grief and we'll get there together. And she looked at me and she said, do you want to, do you really want to be a doctor? It was one of those late nights in college, you know? And I said, no, um, I want to be an actor. She said, well, what are you doing? Come on now. So I literally said, thank you. And then I auditioned for an acting school and got in and that's it. Do you still feel that way about acting? Oh, yes. Oh, God. Here's the great thing. Can I just say? When I told you I learned about anxiety, that ruled the day. I thought that's how you do acting school, too. Because chemistry, organic chemistry, it's a beautiful thing, really. You know, it's built on the carbon molecule. And it actually makes sense over time because it builds on that, you know. Regular chemistry was always confusing to me. It's like, okay, but I just learned that part. Now we're going into this thing? What's this? But anyway, I would study for hours and hours and hours and hours because I had no sense of what I was capable of. None. And that, that's that wonderful teacher um, who, who said to me, what do you think? And, and these tests were grueling. You know, you, you say, I, I must be in the wrong test because I I'm, can't believe we studied this because I don't see anything familiar here. Of course, what they would do is to extrapolate beyond what you were just taught to see, can you then now do this? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And the test is two hours And I finished in like 20 minutes, I remember once, thinking, huh, maybe I got that. And he said, well, how do you think you did? I was sure. I said, I probably flunked. I don't know. He said, you got 100. Mm. And the mean of the class is 56. The point I'm simply making is such lack of awareness. And this teacher was so, uh, Michael McGrath, I want to say his name out loud. He just had the good sense to say, hon, come here a minute. Do, do, do you, you're not, you're doing well and you're not happy. That's a big tip. Okay. So anyway, just to jump quickly to acting school, I will learn these lines and I will know them this week. And then I will know them again. And I will this, you know, no way. Acting does not participate in that way. In fact, no is the big word that comes out. You cannot do that to a character. They're not interested in being bullied. 
And so the thing I love as time goes on is that I'm realizing that. It's like, babe, just relax, will you? It'll come. It'll come. You know what I'm thinking about? This all makes perfect sense to me because before I did this, I was an attorney. <laughs> oh, my God, hon. <laughs> And have you recovered? No, I don't mean to be disrespectful of. No, of, no, of, no. Of, yeah. I. It's just. It's very. It's very familiar. I was. Um. I was. Yeah. Is I, I. Yeah. It's interesting. Isn't it's a it? very similar. It's just. It's a similar kind of idea that you can be good at it, but you still. It still isn't kind of setting you on fire from the inside out. And it's not that no self awareness is landing on you. Of course, that that takes like. I mean, I had to do an analysis when I got out of acting school, which can I say saved me. Do you know what I'm seeing? By then I was like, who is that person that I thought I was? And I'm going to blah. Sure. But uh, good for you. Are you happy? I'm very happy. Yeah. Isn't that I'm very, wonderful? I mean, I mean, it's a ridiculous thing. I get to do things like this, sit here and have this conversation and just chat with people about the things that they do, that they love to do and um, that they're great at. And it's it's uh, in some ways a, a ridiculous job to have. But can I just point out something to you, which I know now because I've known you for a full hour. That that's not ridiculous because I'm telling you, there are people you don't want to talk to, <laughs> and you know it right away. You think I'm going to do this because that's my job, but now I would tell you anything, and that would be called a gift on your part and a skill that is not ridiculous. In fact, it's very meaningful. I'm just putting that out there to you. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for being here on Bullseye. You are wonderful, Linda. And I loved talking with you. And out. Hands down, one of the nicest and most charming people of all time. You can see her in The Handmaid's Tale now. All four seasons are streaming on Hulu. And talked a little bit about her new film, Mass, in the interview. It premiered at Sundance a couple months ago. It should get a wider release later this year. A lot of buzz around it. Our interview was conducted by our good pal, Linda Holmes. You can also catch her on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where just the other night I was waiting for my daughter to fall asleep, sitting in a chair next to her bed. Her breathing started to get slower and more regular, and I thought I was done. And then she turned to me and said... Tom and Jerry the movie is a very strange film. It is. I mean, Tom and Jerry are friends, and they sing songs written by Henry Mancini. It's a weird movie. It's the 90s one, not the new one. Anyway, the show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. Production fellows at MaxFun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks very much to them and to their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. You can keep up with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all our interviews there, and I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 